Our Bible reading this evening comes from the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. You've been working through Ephesians in your Sunday evening services. And so we come to verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a pew Bible there, you'll find it on page 1175. As we read, we remember this is God's word. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of living to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. I walk with a limp. Some of you might have noticed that as I walked through the room earlier on this evening. I don't notice it. I only really know that I walk with a limp because other people have pointed it out to me. I don't do it intentionally. It comes from a a growth defect in my hip that I had as a teenager. It was operated on at the time. That seemed to fix the issue, but just over 20 years later, it has re-emerged. If there are any physiotherapists here this evening and you want to help me out with some exercises, I'd be very pleased to hear about that. The thing is, I don't have to think about this. I don't have to think about walking the way that I walk. It comes 
naturally to me. And so in my natural self, I have pain in my knee. It stops me from being able to sit in one position for too long. And it means that I can no longer keep up with my seven-year-old son in a running race. The message of God's word for us tonight is that we're all like that. We all have a natural way of walking, a natural way of talking, a natural way of acting, and a natural way of thinking. It's not something we need to deliberately lean into. It's something that we do naturally. And according to Paul, the natural way of doing things is harmful and dangerous for us. Keeping walking in the way of the Gentiles, by which Paul means the the pagan way of things before we were in Christ, keeping walking that way leads us to all sorts of difficulty. You can see what Paul says there in verses 17 to 19 of our passage. Do have your Bibles open to Ephesians 4. You see what Paul says, verses 17 to 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. He says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Doesn't sound very good, does it? Paul is basically saying that there is a track and non-Christians are on this track and it's not headed anywhere good. It's headed to pain and to destruction to futility, and to waste. Down that road is a dead end, literally a dead end. It's the road taken by those who have futile minds, darkened understanding, and ignorance leading to hard hearts. It leads to sensuality, to greediness, and to every kind of impurity. But Paul wants something different for us. And in fact, in Christ, God has something, not just different, but something far better for us. So we need to change the way we're walking. And not just change from a hop to a skip or from a limp to a run. We have to turn around and head the other direction. All of this is based on the truth of who you are. Those who trust in Jesus are a new creation. The language Paul uses for it is in Christ. He says those who are in Christ, for them, the old has gone and the new has come. In fact, Paul has spent three chapters in Ephesians telling us about this new creation, about the new humanity that God is making through Jesus. He's been pretty adamant, and and that's why he's so firm in verse 17. You see what he says in verse 17? There's a little phrase there where he says, I testify in the Lord. That phrase, Paul is basically claiming his authority as an apostle of Christ. He is speaking to us on God's behalf, 
And look what he says. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. It might be helpful to think back on some of the things that are true of Christians. I love that picture that John gave a few weeks ago of of the doctrine of chapters 1 to 3 being coal that is shoveled into the fire of our engines. So what is some of that doctrine? What coal has been thrown into the fire to keep us going as God's people? Well, in chapter 1, there were some wonderful truths about how God has chosen and, and set apart his people, even from before the foundations of the earth. We heard that we are Christ's righteousness, having been redeemed by his blood, that we have every spiritual blessing from God in Christ. Chapter 2 showed us that this comes through our union with Jesus and that in him we are seated in the heavenly places. We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In chapter 3, we heard about the resurrection power of Christ, which is at work within us, and how we are loved. Loved by the Father in a way that is beyond measure because of Jesus. And so as we come to look at the passage we're in tonight, Paul is saying to us, don't go back. Don't go back. You are a new creation. So stop living in the old patterns. I'm sure we've all seen those pictures of someone who has lost a lot of weight. You've seen those pictures and and they're standing in their old pair of jeans and maybe they can fit now into one leg of the jeans and they're, they're showing you the difference that there is. And the picture's saying to us, look at the change that's taken place. It might be interesting, it might be helpful for us to, to look at that picture and contrast what the person used to look like with how they look now. But imagine how crazy you would find it if you saw that person hopping through Lurgan in those old jeans, like they were in a sacrius or something. You would laugh at them, wouldn't you? You would assume maybe they're doing it for charity. Well, what God is saying in this passage is that it is ridiculous. It is crazy to become a Christian and still go on living as a non-Christian. God has gone to massive lengths from all eternity to redeem you by the blood of Jesus. How silly would it be for us to walk in the old ways? Now we need to do what verses 22 to 24 tell us to do, to put off the old self that belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who you are now, and therefore this is how you should live. And then Paul goes on to give us the ways in which we should live. As far as I can see, he gives six ways, six new ways of living. And each one of them, Paul contrasts the old way of living with the new way of living. 
So the the same body part or, or thought process that once led us into sin should now be used to honor and glorify our great God who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I might be dating myself a little bit here, um, but I'm sure at least some people in the room have seen the movie Ocean's Eleven. Have you seen Ocean's Eleven? And I'll ask for a a raise of of hands. In that film, the, the main character, Danny Ocean, is the brains of the outfit. And and what he does is he assembles a team to rob one of the big casinos in Las Vegas. And so in the team, there's this acrobatic gymnast who can avoid the laser beams in the vault. There's an explosions expert who can get them into the vault. There are mechanics who can basically create a machine to do whatever they need. There's a computer expert who can recode the camera feeds and reprogram the key cards. There are others in the team as well. And here they all are gathered together and they all have this specific set of skills that makes them useful in carrying out an amazing heist of a casino. But maybe this is the sort of thing that only ministers think about. Imagine if they took all of those skills and used them for good and not for theft. Couldn't they, with their brilliance, raise vast amounts of money for charity? They, they could perhaps set up some sort of NGO or something. Or imagine, imagine they were members of our church. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't their skills and talents be put to great use for the kingdom of God? That's kind of how Paul is talking in verses 25 to 32. He's saying, God has given you hands, he's given you feet, he's given you mouths and minds and hearts and so on. They are yours because you've been created in God's image. But the futile mind, when it's darkened in its understanding, has been using all these things God has given you to fulfill deceitful desires, to practice every kind of impurity. Instead of that, The new creation, your new self, who you are in Jesus, doesn't stop using your hands and your feet and your mouth, doesn't stop using the things God has given you as his image bearer, but you simply use them differently for his honor rather than his dishonor, using what God has given you to glorify him. So, six new ways of living. Firstly, The mouth that was once used for telling lies should now be used for the benefit and edification of God's people by speaking truth. Once our minds were futile and our understanding was darkened, we didn't even know the truth. It was staring us in the face, but we didn't know it. But but through the work of Christ and, and through the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, the truth of the gospel has been revealed to us. Well, Paul applies that here. He says we have to put away falsehood. We have to put away lies. Instead, speak truth. Well, maybe we can say, well, I don't really tell lies that often. It doesn't just mean not telling lies, and we shouldn't tell lies, but it means we should speak the truth. Do you see the the positive implication? We should speak the ultimate truth of the gospel to one another. 
You can see that in the reason Paul ends, adds to the, the end of the verse. For we are members of one another. And so in the church, your growth in the Christian life is the responsibility of someone sitting over here. Likewise, my growth in grace is your responsibility. We all belong to one another in the church. And so we need to speak the truth to one another. That's not an excuse to be brutal and blunt with each other, all in the cause of saying something because it's true. No, this is about sharing the gospel with one another. The gospel isn't just the entrance into the Christian life. The gospel is what sustains us. It's what matures us along the way. And so we need to share it with one another. Perhaps you do know somebody who's struggling at the moment, someone who's feeling down. Why not take time to remind them of the gospel? Maybe you know someone who doesn't feel like they're being a very good Christian. You can remind them that their standing before God isn't based on their works, but on God's grace shown through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you do know someone who's walking in sin, somebody who needs confronted on it. Well, it's not easy, but perhaps that is where you have to speak the truth to that person and get them to remember the gospel. That brings us to the second of Paul's examples, the new life. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. I think this recognizes that there is a legitimate place for righteous Christian anger. But we don't allow ourselves to slip into sin by hating another person or by harming someone else emotionally or physically in anger. But we do allow room in the Christian life to be angry about the things God is angry about. We should never become comfortable or apathetic about sin, about the evil that is in our own hearts, the evil that we see around us. I think we should be rightly angry about the prevalence of immorality in our society. The fact that the murder of unborn babies is seen as a convenience and a right should make us very angry. Commenting on, on this verse, John Stott writes this. He says, there is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. If God hates sin, his people should hate it too. If evil arouses anger, it should arouse ours also. Then Stock quotes Psalm 119. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. But let's face it, we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful with our own anger. I know that. And Paul realizes how easily righteous anger can just turn into sin. And so he puts three qualifications. He, he says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We need to be careful and measured about the right and proper use of righteous anger. The third example 
that Paul gives about the new life is verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. And again, this is fairly obvious. It's a straightforward instruction. But notice that Paul doesn't only give the instruction to stop doing something, but to start doing something else. Both to put off stealing and instead turning your handiwork into service. Do you see what he says? But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think this is remarkably helpful for us in the Christian life. Perhaps we weren't once literal thieves. But the thing that we are to put on can be instructive for all of us. Paul turns the negative use of our hands into positive. No longer stealing, but instead helping the body of Christ. Using our hands for the good of others. Working hard to support yourself and your family. That's really important. Working hard to save money so that when someone is in need, you have the resources to help them. This is immensely practical stuff. God has given us hands. He's given us thoughtful and creative minds to think with. These could be used to organize a massive bank robbery or they could be used for the building up of the body of Christ. The non-Christian takes the good gifts that God has given each person and, and they twist them. They twist them for sinful means. But Paul is saying, not you. Use the good gifts God has given you for the edification of the body of Christ. Don't use your hands to steal. Instead, use them so you will be able to contribute to any who are in need. The same thing could be said about our mouths, and and that's Paul's fourth example, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It can be so easy to be careless about the things we say, but we shouldn't. Don't let any corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Instead, say good things to each other. Build each other up. I'm not talking about telling lies and unnecessarily flattering other people, but being of genuine gospel encouragement to one another. Imparting the grace of the gospel to those who hear what you're saying. We should share scripture with each other. We should speak the truth of the gospel to each other, encourage, rebuke, correct, and instruct one another with the truth of God's word so that we all grow together in the Christian life. Again, we see this principle that the old is put off and the new is put on. Fifthly then, Paul instructs us not to grieve the Holy Spirit Throughout this letter of Ephesians, and there's more to come, Paul has made it very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes what Jesus has done in history and applies it to our hearts. So you can see that if we walk in sinfulness, and if we engage in the very things Jesus has died to forgive, well then we're grieving the Holy Spirit. He has applied the forgiveness of Christ to us. Love for God 
and love for neighbor are, are two sides of the one coin. So if we fail to do one, we're failing to do the other. If we fail to love our neighbor, we're failing to love God and grieving the Holy Spirit. This is all connected to what's been said before. We cannot be saying harmful and hurtful things about our brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe from a Monday to a Saturday, and then come and sit beside them in church. And we still expect to receive God's blessing upon us. We shouldn't be sinfully angry about another member of the church and expect God to bless our worship. Because we're together in the Christian life. You see there at the end of verse 30. We have been sealed by the same Holy Spirit. You and I, every one of us who are Christians. We've been sealed by the same Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. We are fellow citizens of heaven. So we should show love for one another, not hatred. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice. That is not how citizens of heaven behave. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in your heart by acting in those ways. Well, then the final thing about the new life is verse 32. Paul says, be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. That's more like it, isn't it? That's how Christians should live. That's how the watching world should be able to tell the Christian community. We don't have shiny halos on our heads. They don't know us because of our judgmental, holier-than-thou attitudes, I hope. They should look at us and see people who are kind, people who are tender-hearted, people who forgive one another. We should notice the one-anothers. Notice the one another's throughout this passage. The Christian life is a team pursuit. Who would I encourage if there was no one here this evening? If we didn't have each other, who would we forgive? If there weren't all these annoying, sinful people sitting around you, who would you forgive? We could be very good at at desiring to do all the things that Paul has outlined in this passage. But unless there are difficult people around us, and let's face it, we can all be difficult at times. Unless we have the Christian community of the church, we will never show the world what the Christian life looks like. I could be the best rugby player in all the world, but I still need my teammates to start a game, let alone win a game. Christianity is a team sport. It is together in the church alongside one another that we display the glories of God to the watching world. So there we have six examples from Paul as to how the Christian life should look day to day where the rubber meets the road, what the new life in Christ looks like. Put away lying and instead speak the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Don't use your hands for evil but for service. Don't use your mouths for evil, but impart grace to hearers. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who has made us children of God. And be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving towards one another in the church. After all that doctrine, all that coal of of chapters 1 to 3 has been shoveled into the fire of our engines. Well, now we have our marching instructions. This is where we go.
not walking in the way of those who don't love Christ, but putting on the new man, motivated by all he has done for us and walking in the light as he is in the light. Let me finish with one last illustration. Those who enjoy walking in the mountains will be familiar with the little tracks that have been made through the bracken and gorse by animals, usually by sheep. And over time, as more and more animals use that path and and more and more hill walkers take it as well, it becomes established. And veering off that path could become very difficult. It might mean getting jagged by the briars and, and it might mean having to stomp down the ferns to get through them. And so it can be with our sin. The old ways are the easy path to take. They can be easy to slip into. It requires very little work or effort on our behalf to to just fall into those sinful patterns and behaviors. God's word is telling us tonight, don't do it. It might be easier, but it leads to destruction. Remember, Jesus did not take the easy path. He left the glories of heaven to come into this world to die for your sin and for mine to die. Not an easy path to walk. But he did it to recreate you, to make a new humanity of which you can be a part through faith in him. So put off the old self. Stop walking in the sinful ways and turn around, put on the new. I think the last five words of our passage are all the motivation we really need. You see the last five words? God in Christ forgive you.